It's the first Monday of the month. Your questions are answers. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 203. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Yes, you can lead. And this weekly show at the intersection of business and education will help you do exactly that. And once a month, we open up the lines to your questions. And as you're listening today, if you are thinking of a question you'd like us to consider for a future show, coachingforleaders.com slash feedback is where to go. And I am joined, as I am almost every month, by the amazing Bonnie Stahoviak. Hello, Bonnie. Hello, Dave. Thanks for having me on the show again. I am once always, a month. <laughs> I, I'm just thrilled to have you on. And I was on the webinar that uh, Tim Stringer and I did, and someone uh, hopped on the webinar and they said they're a huge Bonnie fan. Oh, that's good. So there you go. And it was funny because I was um, I actually had recorded a tweet that we received from Tasman. I hope I'm saying his name right. He tweeted, I think about a month ago or so. And said, can I just say how awesome it is to see a married couple podcasting about something other than marriage? <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. I hadn't really thought about that, but I can't really think of a couple on a podcast that doesn't talk about marriage. So well, I, guess, we're I guess occasionally we talk about our marriage, but it's not the central focus. It is not the central focus. So I feel like now we should say something about marriage, but I don't know. Do you have any, any wise words of wisdom about marriage? I not, not the I'm, I'm in a, I just finished listening to the, this American life episode that was all about the birds and the bees. And I just always think <laughs> when two people really love each other, they give each other a special hug. And that's the only thing my juvenile mind will, will allow at the moment. Tasman, there you go, my friend. There you go. Way more than you bargained for. Way more than you bargained for. All right, before people uh, hit delete, let's move on to our questions. We have a whole bunch of them this month. And again, this month, we have the problem of having more questions than we do time. So if we didn't get to your question, I'm sorry. We uh, are running a queue of questions. So hopefully we'll get to it in a future show. So the first question here is from Nancy. Nancy writes in and says, uh, and this is part of her question. Um, she says, I'm in a situation myself right now where I was promoted a while back and um, I'm a manager of a team, but I don't have salary discussions or assessments with my team. I think by assessment, she probably means like performance reviews, those kinds of things, Bonnie. Um, my manager has said he is willing to give me the mandate I want and to form the role together with me. I assume that's a, a new this new role. Uh, this is flattering and scary at the same time. My long-term goal is to become a director. Now I'm thinking perhaps I should ask for the responsibility of having the assessments and salary discussions with the team. I'm thinking it might be a good step towards my long-term goal. If you have any wise advice, I would appreciate your input. I'm a little bit lost. Uh, Bonnie, I'll let you uh, tackle this first and then I'll... Uh I'll jump in too. I don't necessarily have wise advice, but I do have some advice. We'll, we'll see if it winds up being wise. We'll let you you determine that, Nancy. I, the reason I joke about that is that it can be so difficult to be asked to take on a role in a company, but not actually be given the authority to take on that role. And it happens so much of the time. And some of that time, I think it just kind of depends on the structure of your organization, the size of it. But sometimes that can be a way that we can build up people's leadership skills. So we put them into it more of a supervisory capacity. And they might be overseeing things like schedules or troubleshooting issues with clients or, or what have you. 
And that can be a way to help. Or maybe, maybe they take on some role of training other people in the organization. So I don't want to say that every time that happens in an organization, it's a bad thing. But boy, does that happen a lot of times because out of really out of fear or out of a just a desire to have more control, a desire to have more power in an organization. There's lots of reasons why it can happen. It, the conversation that you're thinking about having, I think you're wise to to be moving in that direction and it really would grow and stretch you. I would be thinking about saying that your longer term goals do involve becoming a director and, and trying to get someone to help you see what that might look like and then suggesting that it seems like to you this might be a good time in your career and in the organization you think you would have something to offer in terms of getting some experience with salary negotiations or salary discussions and assessments. Yeah. And this, uh, one of the things that I think about, I agree with everything Bonnie said. And to your point specifically, Nancy is the, uh, I'm not clear from your question, if you didn't want this responsibility or for whatever reason, it just wasn't included as part of this new role. Um, and so I guess one of the things that I would say is with any new role, there's always going to be pieces of it that we don't want or that we're not comfortable with. So if fear is the only thing that's holding you back, I I would challenge you to challenge yourself and to be willing to step into that discomfort. Um, I have found more often than not in my career um, and in our personal lives and even in financial situations and all that, that taking a little bit of a risk and moving beyond if fear is the only thing that's holding you back, a lot of times that risk is worth taking and stepping into that uncomfortable situation is a big payoff in the long run. Cause a lot of times that fear really does, um, does disappear after we get a chance to do it. So I would just, I would encourage you to look at that opportunity. If that's the only thing holding you back. And like Bonnie said, if there's other pieces of that, then that may change that. But, um, good luck. Let us know what you do. We'd, uh, we'd be excited to hear. Uh, Bonnie, I don't think you have anything else to add. So let's uh, jump into the next question here. This is an audio question from Jeff. Hey, Dave. I'm really enjoying your podcast. I've been listening now for a couple of months and I'm into about episode 45 or so. And one of the things I was thinking about an idea for future shows is uh, leading and coaching people who are not subordinates. Um, So in my line of work, uh, I coach franchisees. I've got about 70 franchisees that I'm responsible for to help them with their business development and sales and marketing plans. Uh, But because they're not directly employees that report to me, uh, the, the coaching aspect to them is quite a bit different because they don't have to listen to me. Um, so I guess what I was hoping to find from the podcast maybe is some ideas on how to influence them and lead them, get them to understand and, and see a new way of thinking uh, for people who are not you know necessarily subordinate. So it was just an idea. Maybe it's coming up in a podcast that I haven't got to yet. Uh, but if not, I thought that might be an interesting idea. Thanks. Hey, Jeff, thanks a ton for the question. And I do think we've hit this, um, maybe not directly, but on a lot of shows in the past. And one show in particular you haven't gotten to yet. And for those others listening who may have just started listening recently, episode 190 with my friend Tom Henschel uh, talked all about coaching skills. I think that's a really powerful episode. The things he shared there are going to be helpful to anyone who's wanting to coach better, whether you're in a management role or you're in a role where you're maybe coaching a peer or someone you're serving in this case, Jeff. And um, I, I resonate a lot with what you've said, Jeff, because you know in my work with Dale Carnegie, a lot of times I'm working with other, uh, other offices. We have a franchise system. And so 
Um, I actually, more often than not, I think this is the norm in today's workplace. There's not a lot of uh, clear reporting relationships as much. Now we are all needing to influence across the enterprise, across the matrix and many of our organizations. We need to influence customers. So I think this is really common, if not more common even than than the old org charts where you had one manager and one person that you reported to. So I think the thing, the mindset that I always take is is two things in this scenario. One is Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. That book for me has been masterful at helping me to look at things honestly from the other person's point of view. Because ultimately, if you want to influence someone, you first need to step into their shoes, uh, understand where they are, care genuinely about them. Um, appreciate where they are, and then help them to get to where they want to go. And if you can do that in a genuine way, then uh, then then that will serve you so well in your coaching skills. And so I, I find that Carnegie's framework for that is really powerful. So if you haven't read the book, I would certainly suggest that as a starting point. And then the other thing that I try to approach these situations with, both with clients and colleagues, is how can I serve? How can I help this person? I almost I, I look at all of these situations uh, almost entirely as, as these these people are my customers. Whether that person is a colleague, um, a manager, a client, I, I think of everyone as a customer. And what can I do to serve this person today, and to help them and to assist them? And for me, I find that just having that mindset is helpful. Where it's um, it allows me to step in to really do the kind of coaching that I want to do to be of help to them. Bonnie, anything to add on to that? Yeah, I've spent much of my first half of my career in the franchising world and relate much to what you had to ask about. I found it actually, I think maybe because I started more in early in my career supporting franchises, I, I grew accustomed to that there, I don't have any authority over this relationship. So it becomes much more important to gain trust. And of course, trust is built on character as well as competence. And so being able to build that credibility with business leaders, and that that did take some time and took some gaining of knowledge and skills. And one of the things that I learned along the way that was most important was to think about the questions that I ask and the power of influence that comes from questions. Much of the time when people that I coached who were working supporting franchises were early on in learning how to influence better, they would ask questions of the business owners that they were supporting that they'd already thought of. How many employees do you have? What's your what's your revenue been the last 12 months? And when we're asking questions that someone's already thought of, in a sense, we're kind of wasting their time because that yeah, there it's situational. I already know that. I, can we move this on? How much more time are we going to spend? But when we start asking the deeper questions about the effects of perhaps not achieving one's goals and what it would look like if you were achieving the goals, when we start to go a little bit deeper and asking questions in a new way that brings fresh insight into that business leader's minds, it can really help. And one of the resources I love around that is Peter Block's Flawless Consulting, A Guide to Getting Your Expertise Used. And the whole book is set up primarily for internal consultants who don't have any power over the the organization that they're serving and to build that credibility and to help become more problem solvers in their support roles. I think that would be a good resource for you to check out in addition to the one that Dave mentioned. It's funny you mentioned what you said at the beginning about not having authority. 
when I think of situation, I'm actually more comfortable now working with people when I don't have authority. And the vast majority of my relationships business-wise are ones where I have zero formal authority and it's all about influence. So I echo everything you say. And by the way, if it's also helpful to you, Jeff, I wrote an article a while back on eight ways to influence without authority that got a lot of traction online. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes uh, if it's helpful to you and others, just to just to get give you some ideas on other things you may want to think of uh, if you're in that situation. So good luck, Jeff. Let us know what uh, what works out with that. And let's move on to our next question here. This one is from Tyler. Tyler writes in and said, I read in a Forbes article that 89 of the Fortune 100 companies are now using MBTI to match employees to roles. Um, MBTI is the Myers-Briggs type indicator or Myers-Briggs that uh, probably a number of people are familiar with or listening. Uh, My company does not presently use this, but I've done some work on it with my team. Actually, a personal interest and goal of mine would be to eventually become a trainer in the subject, both for MBTI and DISC, which is another popular assessment. Do you know anyone who works with these and how might I network or mentee with someone who does this? I'm really glad that you're taking an interest in the MBTI. There was an article that I can't remember where it was recently, but that was poking some holes in its credibility. And I know that there are some issues with reliability and validity of many of the personality assessments. Having said that, and actually the article that I read came came around this way, it really has helped me in my professional and in my personal relationships. I'm speaking specifically, by the way, of the MBTI. I have a little bit less experience with the DISC, but I've taken it and have had a little bit of training in it. But Dave and I actually became, at the time it was called qualified as an MBTI facilitator, and now I believe they've gone back around and now it's back to being called certified as an MBTI administrator of the assessment And one of the things that really struck me about doing this week-long course that we did, and there was some pre-work and and post-work after the the face-to-face class, was just how misused it's been in the workplace. Mm. People think that they know, and the most most thing that comes to the front of my mind is I used to, and many people think of each one of the four different letters in the result of an MBTI typology, being separate, not interrelated. And in my case, I, I test, by the way, that's another, another big fallacy is that the test is who you are. And I would test as an I, but actually show up in life as an E, but I show up as life as an extrovert, by the way, the E is extrovert, the I is introversion. And, but that shows up in more of a connection around being an extroverted feeler. So about deeper things, having those deeper conversations. I don't want to dive too far into MBTI, but I did just want to say that despite any challenges that there are around some of the validity and reliability of the instrument, I have found it really helpful. I'm glad you're pursuing it, but really want to consider suggesting that you pursue it through someone who actually has the proper qualifications to provide you that training so you can really get the richness of it and the true benefit. I love it. I love it. Uh, I echo everything. And some uh, people you can talk with who would be helpful for you on this. Uh, first of all, for those who are looking for publications that are helpful around the MBTI model, uh, CPP is the organization that publishes MBTI, and they've got a lot of publications. My favorite by far, though, are from uh, Linda Behrens, who trained us in MBTI. And she has put a masterful system of publications around the different personality types, Myers-Briggs, the work Carl Jung did on creating this model originally. And you can find the publications at radiancehouse.com. Uh, her and Dario Nardi 
are I hope I'm saying Dario's name right are um, have all the publications there for purchase. The the books that they have around workbooks around MBTI and personality types are I think the best I've seen, and I've seen a lot of them out there over the years. So definitely check out RadianceHouse.com. I'll put a link in the show notes for those of you who are looking to talk to someone who's MBTI. Uh, certified and also could be helpful to you as far as networking with people who can help with this. Susan Gerke, who's been on the show many times, is a great resource. I'll put her link in the show notes as well. Uh, she is a, a masterful, well-trained facilitator on MBTI, um, but also uses it as part of a larger system of okay, using MBTI to really help teams to get to uh, an end goal. So she's a great contact point for those of you looking for that. And then for those who are looking for DISC, I'd recommend uh, my friend Doug McCray. He does a lot of work with us at Dale Carnegie. Uh, he uses assessments that are built around the DISC model, but also goes into a lot more depth, uh, particularly, particularly those of you who are in organizations or looking for more of an enterprise approach or doing large corporate surveys. He's a great resource for that. Um, I'll put his link in the show notes as well, too. So hopefully that'll get you started on where you can uh, begin with that. And uh, hope that uh, hope that gets you started, Tyler, as far as some resources to look at. Uh, RadianceHouse.com, though, is a great place to start for publications. So let's go to next uh, audio question here from Nathaniel. Hey, Mr. Soviet. Um I'm calling um, with a question for your Coaching for Leaders podcast, um, which I listen to regularly probably fanatically. I, I, I never miss either that or your daily broadcast. Um, I'm responsible for facilitating, uh, well, facilitating awareness of security-related matters in my company. So mostly I conduct extensive personal research, and I have to learn about every aspect of security as it relates to the workplace anyway. Uh, my name's Nathaniel Udy. I forgot to state that. I'm out of Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, I uh, choose to spend most of my spare time reading and listening to the materials that I hope will help me become a better leader and a communicator and really be able to relate to people from a lot of different cultural backgrounds and socioeconomic environments. And even my hobbies reflect a desire, you know, to rise above my challenging past, which was one where I didn't receive any elementary education, so that I can take a role as a caring and empathetic executive focused on people instead of just money. Um... The problem I have a question about, I counter in both my professional and my personal life, is that when I try to share my knowledge, it comes across to people as arrogant, and, and that's based on feedback that I get from uh, people that know me really well and are not afraid to tell me what what they think about my communication style. Well, you know, I'm not actually under the impression that I'm smarter than anyone else. I've even told people that my secret to knowing so much about such a wide variety of topics is that I study four times as much, so even though I'm only half as clever, I'll still understand twice as much in the end as the next guy does. Um, so I guess I would to ask my question like this. How can I develop my interpersonal skills toward the goal of being able to give others good advice without sounding like I think my perspective is more valid than theirs? And what are the common mistakes I might be making in relating to others in a way that comes across to them as, con as conceited? Um, all right. Um, if you can get to my question in one of your podcasts, that'd be great because I'm not the only one that has this problem. But thank you for your time and your education and have an amazing year. Nathan Nathaniel, I can assure you you're not the only person who has struggled with this. And good for you for... Um, 
getting seeking whether you've sought the feedback or have heard the feedback from others that this is a struggle for you and something you want to improve on good for you for hearing that and doing something to be willing to take action on it uh and by the way thanks for listening fanatically to the shows too i really appreciate that uh so a few things come to mind but i think probably so the the quote that's kind of echoing through my mind as i listen to this is the old cliche that nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care and whenever I've worked with clients and people who are attending classes where this is a struggle too, where um, people have given them the feedback either directly or indirectly that they're giving too much information or I don't like the advice that I'm getting or tend to be defensive on that, I think sometimes what happens is, is that information is given without having the rapport there, the cooperation and the understanding of what the other party really needs and wants from that relationship. And so you asked the question of how can I give people advice in a way that doesn't sound conceited? I think the word was was the term you used. And I would challenge the premise of the question. And I would say, what, what would happen if you just made a policy for yourself of to stop giving people advice? And to see what happened and to wait until people ask you a question and to instead take that time and that energy putting into how can you ask better questions? So to take the time to ask the questions, to really understand where someone's coming from, to be truly curious about what a person is wanting to learn, wanting to grow, where they want coaching on, how you can help them, how you can serve, be a servant leader. And I wonder if that mental shift for you of just stepping away from giving advice and stepping into how can I serve and how can I help this person and how can I understand exactly what they want and need right now, I'd be really curious what that would do for you. And so I would challenge you to try that and to see if that doesn't change the dynamic of how people are relating to you. I was so thrilled to hear your message. And I actually oftentimes don't hear the messages until we're recording. So I was a surprise for me to hear such a rich story of sounds like you have a very unique background and that's shaped a lot of your life. And how wonderful it is that you pursue so many opportunities to engage with people from different backgrounds and socioeconomic situations. I I think that's wonderful. I think that's something that Dave and I think a lot about trying to do for our children as they're growing up so they can be around diversity like that. And it can be challenging because we can get really comfortable around the people that we already know and situations that I already know. I forgot Dave and I were listening to some podcast. We, We recently did a little staycation and their podcast was talking about the benefits in your relationships to doing things that are unique and, and mm. really pushing yourself in that area. And that's not something I necessarily do too much. So it's fun to listen and learn a little bit about you. I completely concur with what Dave said that advice is just doesn't work unless it's asked for. It just doesn't work. Yeah. It's going to, we're going to make assumptions about, in fact, even you just asked us a question and no doubt Dave and I are making assumptions about that. So I know for sure. I think that we, I just, as you were talking, I kept thinking about every area of life. One of the keys is to get better at asking questions. You want to become a better teacher? Ask more questions. You want to influence more? Ask more questions. Not just more questions, but richer questions. And part of that, I think that will help you is to get genuinely curious about other people. You already have that in you, it sounds like. So now it's just time to start turning instead of your desire to give that advice, turning it into just seeking out, oh, I wonder what makes this person tick and asking a lot of different questions. I could really relate to 
spending a lot of time learning. I, I sometimes just get blown away. Dave and I have talked in previous episodes about we both use what are called RSS readers. So we have customized news sources from all these different areas of interest to us. And we have the ability to drive in our cars or walk around the block with people from all over the world that have so much to contribute. It's really pretty remarkable when you think about that. I was sharing with someone the other day that I started out early in my career doing computer training. This is before there were laptops. It was just lunchboxes, these 15 pound (laughs) beasts of computers that we'd carry around to the different companies. And that's how we used to do computer training. That doesn't really work very well today, a sit down, because everyone's in a different place. And you think about how many rich resources there are to learn something on your computer. It really just blows me away. So one thing I was thinking about that might help you, in addition to, as Dave said, not not giving the advice, was to try to find other people that also have that love of learning that you do in a particular area. In my university where I work, I absolutely love using technology, whether it's using technology for productivity purposes or whether it's using technology in the classroom to make learning come alive in different ways. I was able to set up just a really informal once a month sit down hour long session where we shared how we were doing that as well as asking questions of each other thinking, I'd really like to be able to do this. Has anyone ever come across that before? And we'd each share a little thing like that. And then we kind of vote on which one we wanted to dive into a little bit more. Or we'd say, what person did we want to have do just a quick 15 minute demo the next time we got together. And that We ended up, I actually had, I just put out an invitation. I had two groups. There was 30 people before I didn't even try that hard just because there was finding people that have that common desire for lifelong learning, but in a particular area. And that might be something that would help you connect with other people that maybe you're not already, and then also kind of have an avenue for it. Because just as an example, it's very hard for Dave and I to find people that have the same passion for technology that we do. But when we do, I mean, it's so fun. We can just sit there and talk about it all night. We could. And I was thinking as you were talking about technology too, that it's also very easy to get overwhelmed and to get caught in the trap of um, reading, reading, consuming, 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 and then not doing anything with it or doing very little with it. And this came up on the webinar that uh, Tim Stringer and I facilitated last week, Bonnie. Someone asked, you know, how do you, how do you listen to, it was asking of all of us, how do you listen to all these podcasts and read all these things and do all this thing out there and then have the time to implement it all? And my answer, at least was for myself, is unsubscribe from some of the podcasts. And for, not this one, of course, <laughs> other people's <laughs> podcasts. But, but seriously, like I've done that. I've gone in and I've unsubscribed from podcasts and reading and stopped following people on Twitter because not because it's not valuable stuff. Says, I can't process all of that. And so at some point you have to just say, okay, I've got enough. This is one or two things that I've got and I'm going to go do something with it. Take action with it. That's way better than getting 10 times the information and doing nothing with it, of having one thing that you can focus on and do. That's why I always say at the end of the show, you know, take one thing from this episode you can do and go implement it because then it's valuable to you. Then it's of real, of real value to you and the people around you. A couple of techniques I use for that too. One is if it's something I want to do, I'm not going to do it right away, but I've been wanting for some time to practice with these Apple scripts for starting a presentation and ending a presentation from this geeky tech guy out there. And that's been in my to-do manager for some time now. And it finally just bubbled up and I got to it this last week, but I think it's been there for at least four months that then and I that's only for like the most coolest coolest thing that I'll actually have it as a task to look at but the other thing I'll do is I have a bookmark system that Dave and I have both talked about previously called pinboard.in 
and I'll just pin things. So I have, I have pins for OmniFocus, which is my task manager. I have pins for Text Expander, which is another app I really love. And when I'm thinking about upping my game for the productivity around any of those areas, I can go and skim some of the recent articles that I've saved and then be able to maximize my time that way. So that's another couple of different things that I do. You're so geeky with your Apple scripts. I'm very impressed. I'm so geeky. We have next up, and thank you for your question, Nathaniel. Next up, we have a question from Joseph. He says, I work in a retail business chain. In the past year, my company has really embraced leadership and servant leadership at the highest level. I feel like they've done a wonderful job in sharing the message with upper management and all of the leads at our locations. However, I don't feel like it's traveled well to our assistant team leads, departments, or entry-level team members. That's not truly changing our culture. I was wondering if you have any suggestions on how I could help better achieve this at my location. I was thinking about holding small store leadership development sessions, but I'm still at a standstill on how to structure and execute them. Any thoughts or advice? Well, I think the idea to do a leadership session or workshop or something like that may be a good one. I don't know if I'd start there, though. I would spend the time of figuring out how do I be the example of the servant leader that is the message from the company and the organization that that they want you to be and that you want to be. So think about the training you've already received, the perspective that you've gained, and what is resonating with you that you need to do differently as a leader in that situation in order to create the kind of leader you want to be. And I would start there. And I bet you there's a list of three or four or five things that come to your mind right away of what you could do differently in your own daily interactions and activities with the people that you're working with that will make that shift. Because um, that is a starting point. If you're trying to change culture, culture is ultimately how we do things around here. And you're probably not going to achieve that just by doing a workshop. It's starting by leading by example and having conversations with people and finding out what they need. And one of my favorite questions to ask people, and I do this in emails all the time, is what are you struggling with? And so I would, I would be interesting to me of like what, if you are embracing that, that true servant leadership of how do I serve you better, I would I'd wonder if you could go around and start asking people, what are you struggling with? And I'd be really curious what you hear. Uh, do you hear different things from different people? Do you hear the same kinds of things? And then you start to address that. Then you start to put actions into place and you make shifts first in your leadership in order to address those and gain trust with people that you're going to do things that are going to help make their jobs easier. They're going to help make um, their roles more, uh, more influential. I would start there and see where that takes you. And I bet what will happen is as you start to have those conversations and you start to engage people in that way, is then that leads you to the next step. If you hear the same thing from everyone, that's something that they need to build as a skill, then do the, do the workshop, workshop around that, that skill, and it will, help you to, uh, it will help you to better align with what you think people need with what they actually need. And I think if you do that, uh, I think that'll be a good starting point for you. And Bonnie has nothing to add on that because she agrees with me fully, right? So, oh, absolutely. <laughs> so, so hey, thanks for the question. And I hope uh, I hope that that's helpful to you, Joseph. And uh, let us know what you decide to do with it and what you hear from those questions. 
All right, so let's see. Um, hmm, next question here is from Stefan. Hope I'm saying your name right, Stefan. Uh, Stefan says, part of my job is also creation and implementation of all relevant procedures and policies within the company. Currently, I am producing, in quotes, a so-called open door policy. I have some questions about suitable content of such a policy. It is not just about the open door, but the willingness of managers to accept employees and speak with them about their personal problems, daily issues, etc. I think that it is much more the right of employees to, in quotes, raise their voice, so to address suggestions, complaints, etc. on how to solve problems. Do you have some proper name for this when a manager has free time for employees, for example, a chat with a manager or open hour with a manager? And I think also he's asking Bonnie just what how this would be structured as a policy. So uh, what thoughts do you have on this? I, I have a few, but... I'm going to just have a small thought, which is I'm terrible about policies because I'm not much of a policy person. So I'm only mentioning that because that's going to be my bias. This really doesn't sound like a policy to me. It sounds like more of a culture thing and you can't necessarily always, it does help to write things down just to be able to have each other look at that and see if the language has properly captured the kind of culture that you're trying to build. But it just doesn't sound like a policy. Policies tend to be more with when we can have rules around things or we can have we can have a way of assessing true or false this happened or it didn't this policy was followed or it wasn't followed that's really hard to do with more of a culture of engagement a culture of making sure people feel heard and that they that that we're able to maximize the potential of the people that work in our organization in terms of providing feedback or also knowing I mean, the per- personal problems, whenever people hear that, it makes some people nervous. Oh, I don't, we don't, personal is for outside the workplace. Well, you know what? Our personal lives sometimes affect our workplace. And when we work closely with each other, it does help to know someone's going through a divorce, someone's child is sick, someone is experiencing the loss of a parent. I mean, those are the kinds of things that it helps to know that in a context, at least for me, it helps me give people grace and just be a kinder person, which I wish I didn't have to have that kind of information to be a kinder person. But that certainly helps to know that's why that person may not be so chipper and smiling. And it's not about me. It's actually about them, that kind of thing. That's my first reaction that that perhaps this is not a policy. But again, that tends to be my bias. So I'm interested to see what Dave has to say. I actually had a very similar reaction to this, and and this is always one of those things. I, I wish we could have dialogue live uh, with him about this. But you mentioned your role is writing policies and procedures for your organization. This is not the kind of thing to me that strikes me as a something you'd capture by policy or procedure. I guess maybe you could try to put structure around what already exists. But if you're trying to actually create an open door policy, quote unquote, within your organization writing a policy wouldn't be the way to do it. And so to Bonnie's point, um, it really does come to a culture aspect of how do managers and employees and leadership in the organization approach this. And it really starts at the top. This is where good leadership becomes so essential. And uh, as much as I wish I could tell you, Stefan, that something you could write would change that, I think ultimately it becomes down to the culture of the organization and who the leaders are in your organization and what are people seeing them do. Are those people going and hiding in offices and not available um, except in formal interactions? Or are they out there having conversations with people, communicating, having those informal, what what a lot of people call that open door um, environment with people? And if that's not happening, what are the things that 
those people can do to make that shift. If that's important to the organization, that cultural shift is going to need to start with them. And for those who are looking for a structured process that you could utilize in order to affect change in your organization from a cultural dynamic, I think um, one of the books that I've always really liked on this is Leading Change by John Cotter. It's an eight-step process of how to take an organization through a change when you're trying to change things, something that's complicated like culture. So that's a good resource for you if you're looking for a framework to do that. Um, and then of working with individuals who want it and are willing to do this and deciding what's the first action you can take. Maybe it's scheduling some time or a reminder in your calendar to spend time talking to people if they're not already doing that, or maybe it is literally opening the door uh, in that place. But so many places now, even the physical environments are different. So many people work virtually. So there's an intentionality here that needs to be captured in the organization in order for it to really take and to affect change within the organization. A big thanks to Bonnie, as always, for her assistance in responding to these questions. I know both of us just feel very honored and humbled that you all would take time to submit questions and give us the privilege and the opportunity to influence you. And I hope that the responses are helpful in getting, if not answering the question, at least getting you to consider other ways you might approach these situations, whether you submitted a question or not. And as always, we welcome your input as well. And uh, if you have a disagreement on what we mentioned, we welcome that too. Go to coachingforleaders.com slash 203, not only to see the show notes, but also to comment on this episode. The next Q&A show is going to be episode number 208. And you can submit questions to be considered for that episode right now at coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And by the way, if you're just listening to this show for the first time and you're not already subscribed, uh, please do so by going over to iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you're listening to, and you can subscribe to the show, and the show airs every single Monday. And speaking of iTunes, I know many of you do use iTunes to listen to the show or a directory that connects with iTunes, and many of you also like going back in the back catalog and listening to older episodes, sometimes from three or four years ago. I wanted to just mention, for those of you who are wondering why the full catalog is no longer appearing on iTunes, I don't know. <laughs> We're still sending the full catalog to iTunes. Uh, it turns out that Apple has either intentionally or unintentionally made a decision in the last couple of weeks to stop uh, allowing podcasts to list their full catalog. Uh, it's been as few as the most recent 20 shows. It, as I'm recording this, the most recent 50 are showing, but they're still well over 100 episodes that are no longer showing on iTunes. Uh, that is affecting every podcast on iTunes, as far as I can tell, and the folks I know who also produce podcasts. So it's not anything we're doing. I apologize for it, but unfortunately, we don't have any control over it. I'm, I'm not sure if that's intentional or not. I hope they go back to listing the full catalog on the iTunes uh, charts. However, uh, if they don't, you can always get to past episodes one of two ways. If you know the episode number you're looking for, just do coachingforleaders.com slash the episode number. The audio is right there embedded on the website. If you don't know which episode you're look looking for, go to coachingforleaders.com slash podcast. So again, just slash the word podcast. That will take you to a listing of all past 203 episodes. And regardless of what iTunes or any other directory ever does, all of the shows will always be listed up there as well as the full audio and show notes. So you can get to them there and hopefully they will uh, go back to listing all those shows. So uh, not sure why that's happened, but uh, at least uh, you can get to it on the website. And I apologize if that's caused an inconvenience for anyone out there who's listening 
to past episodes. Hey, speaking of iTunes, by the way, this show, Coaching for Leaders, has been listed in the top 10 of the career section of iTunes as one of the top 10 podcasts several times over the last couple of months. That's really pretty amazing. I'm really stunned, frankly, myself. And so thank you so much to all of you who have listened to the show, who've been supporters recently and over the years, and especially those of you who have taken the time to rate or review the show on iTunes. So grateful for that. And the larger the audience continues to grow, which it continues to grow, uh, I the more and more resources that uh, we can put into the show. So thank you a ton for doing that. I'm, I'm very grateful, very humbled, and uh, definitely not slowing down and continuing to search for the best people out there who can be helpful to all of us in being better leaders and got lots of interviews, uh, great interviews coming up in the next few weeks. So I'm really excited to continue to share that with you. So just wanted to say, take a moment to say thanks. And uh, speaking of which, take a moment, if you haven't already, to join the weekly leadership guide that I publish every Wednesday. It'll come to your inbox on Wednesdays and includes my thoughts and recommendations on articles, podcasts, videos, books, things that I found online that I think will help your development between the show's to help you to be a more effective leader. And it also includes a brief overview and link to the full weekly show notes each week. So if you listen like I do while you're on the road or out exercising or doing other things, it'll give you a good way to follow up when uh, you hear resources on the show that you'd like to follow up on. And as a bonus, when you subscribe for the first time to the weekly leadership guide, you will get instant access to my reader's guide that lists the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others and brief summaries from me on the value of each one of those books. It's an 11-page reader's guide and nine-minute video. So if you're looking for ways to further improve your leadership development, one of the best ways is to read, to get the perspective from some of the best experts out there. So I hope you'll take a moment to check out those. And in order to get all of that, just go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. That'll give you access to that and the weekly leadership guide in your inbox every Wednesday. Thanks so much for your support of the show. I look forward to talking with you again next Monday. Take care.